Welcome to Brew Crime, a true crime and beer podcast. This is a podcast where we pick a theme, cover a few cases, and pair them with craft beer. Join me, Mike. And me, JT. As we explore the world of crime, conspiracies, or whatever catches our attention. You can find us on social media at BrewCrime or our website, BrewCrime.com. And you can find us on any podcast app at BrewCrime Podcast. Join us as we discuss the horrible crimes that surround us and maybe, eh, probably, not definitely tip a bottle or two back as you do it. Drink with us the second and last Tuesday of every month. The Oracle Network. Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast where we rotate between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and, you know, just a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you what's considered a weird distraction from everyday life. I'm one of your hosts, Alex. And Christy. And this week we are back talking paranormal, which... I know. I feel like it's been a while. Even I though feel like we haven't done one yet. I know. It, I, don't, I don't know why I feel that way. But we're in rotation, usually. Yeah. Hmm. Usually. For the most part. Yes. Weird. Weird. Very, very weird. But anyways, before we dive into this week's episode, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. And then we got to talk about what we need a distraction from. And then we will get into the ooky spookiness. So... First and foremost, housekeeping. Let's get that out of the way. Let's just, mm-hmm. let's get all the cleaning done. So our weird spam episode featuring the gals from the Pineapple Pizza podcast is available now on Patreon, along with this month's weird destination blog post. So you could access the weird spam episode by joining our top tier, which is our $5 USD a month, which I believe is here for the weird. And then our blog post, essentially what that is, is we kind of give you an inside scoop of all the creepy places we've been to. So if you like traveling, if you like spooky things, and you want behind the scenes footage, might as well join at either tier, you get access to it. And once again, that is on patreon.com. To search Weird Distractions Podcast. Yes. And now Christy, what do you need a distraction from this week? Um, I need a distraction. I was telling Alex earlier, my body is not cooperating <laughs> right now. Uh, we, we were together for Friends Miss. Yes. Drank too much, ate too much, my body's not happy. Yes. My digestive system's like, what the fuck did it do to me? Yeah, basically, you, we ingested our total body weight in dairy products, which yeah, never th- a good that's idea. also the problem, is dairy. Dairy. Very much so. Uh, I'm feeling so hot, and it's been two days. You're not um, feeling merry after eating some dairy? No. And, and, <laughs> and I do it at work, and I was like, I don't want to be here because I feel bad. Yeah, I need distraction from all of that. Fair enough. Well, my need for distraction is, once again, it's busy out there. It's busy this month, and I hate it. I just want to Christmas. Yeah, I know, but I hate it. I hate it. I'm just so, I hate people. I am so tired. I'm so tired of people. So yeah, that's my need for distraction, just the general discomfort of being busy, which I know some people are like, oh, but this is, you know, such a, the best time of the year, year, you know, family, friends, uh, yeah, it's good in small doses, very small doses, but anyways, I think it's time to dive into this week's spookiness, but actually it's not because I forgot one thing (laughs) already. So 
As you'll hear in this week's episode, we are playing a fellow Oracle members promo. So shout out to Brew Crimes Podcast. They are a true crime podcast that likes to pair an alcoholic beverage, primarily beer, with a true crime episode, which is pretty cool. And they are doing a Christmas bonus series where they release a mini episode every day. Oh, every day. I think it's every day or every week. I could be, you know, you might as well just go check out Brew Crimes podcast and figure it out for yourself. But regardless, they're part of our Oracle network. So therefore, they're part of our little family that we got going on over there. So check them out. Support. Support. So now, without further waiting. The spooks. Yes, let's get spooky. So this week, we're back talking all things weirdly spooky as we go to Wyoming for the first time ever to discuss a reportedly haunted jail turned museum. Interesting. Yes. So the Wyoming Frontier Prison was the first prison in the state. And with over 80 years of operation, you can imagine that there was a lot that went down while it was in operation. Don't they always? Yeah. There's, I feel like with jails. It's <laughs> like jails are silent. It's like, what the fuck happened? Well, it, it's funny because they always were like, oh, and so much went down there. It's like, well, no shit, Sherlock. It's a jail. Do you think they all just sat around and knit and shot the shit no it's a jail no. mm-hmm. and yeah it's stuff is bound to happen yes as always before we dive into the haunts we'll have to go over the history and as a little extra nugget we will discuss some of the more documented inmates to get an idea of who once served time at the jail we love documentation yes and just a heads up due to some discussions of suicide rape murder and more Listener discretion is advised for the entirety of the episode, along with our usual trigger warning. So if you're not in a headspace to listen today, you know what? That's fair. That's totally fine. Take care of yourself. But uh, we're, we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy things. Yeah. So you can tune in again another time. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Boo thang. You got this. But anyways, let's learn about this jail. So located at 500 West Walnut Street in Rawlins stands an ominous borderline intimidating building that once housed individuals who challenged society's rules and morals. Ooh. Yes. Spooky. Yes. <laughs> the former jail opened its cells in 1901, but the cornerstone for it was actually laid in 1888. Apparently, there was a delay in the construction due to funding issues along with weather conditions, making what could have maybe been like a one to two year job into like a 13 year job. <laughs> That's excessive. That's really excessive. Two years into 13 Could years. you imagine pulling up to that work site and being like, yeah, so we should get this done what? A couple months, you think? Yeah, by before Christmas. And then you just have to keep going back because weather and lack of money just keeps kind of holding back from, you know, completing one job site. That sounds very stressful. Yeah, it sounds very frustrating. Regardless, once the job was done, the jail would consist of 104 cells, which did not consist of electricity or running water or decent heating. So even though it was done... In 13 years, they still don't have any of that shit? Yeah. Yeah. So even though there were 104 cells originally, overcrowding became an immediate issue. So in 1904, an additional 32 cells were added to accommodate. Another cell block, known as cell block B, would be added in 1950. Once again, more cells were added due to overcrowding, which is a kind of a common theme I think we've seen in asylums all the time, time, really, because Mm -hmm. I think people underestimate how many individuals are going to house. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll make like 20 rooms it'll be fine or 20 cells it's fine no one's gonna get we're not gonna have that many people come in the plot twist you have 
twice as yeah, twice as much. Be. Yeah. So did these new cells eventually get electricity and heat? They and... would eventually, but not for a while. Yeah. They had other plans. So during the 1950s, the prison added solitary confinement cells. Then jumping to 1966, a maximum security block, referred to as cell block C, was completed. However, this addition only included a total of 36 cells. Oh, only 36 of them were so Only Basically, yeah. In terms of population that the jail served, it seemed as though it was kind of like a free-for-all until 1909 when women would be transferred to Colorado. So they kind of had everybody come. Mm. And then in 1909, they're like, you know what? We'll just be kind of a men's facility. Mm. Gotcha. When it comes to further punishment within the prison's walls, according to the Wyoming Frontier Prison website, the jail had several different forms of discipline when it was operating. Forms of discipline included several variations of confinement. I don't know the firm details, so just confinement. Use your imagination. Use your imagination. I think the worst. Wildly, yes. Uh, A dungeon house, which I could also kind of consider that as confinement. I don't think so. I, that's what I thought. I was like, okay. <laughs> Worse than my jail cell, but a dungeon house? Mm, I don't know. I'm going to classify that under the confinement category. Yes. And along with what was called a punishment pole. Now, Christy, I want you to tell me what you think the punishment pole was. Um, a literal pole yes. that you were strapped to and you stayed there for a long time. Basically spot on. Um, mm-hmm. So the punishment pole was a pole that inmates would be handcuffed to. Then they would be whipped with rubber hoses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of this... You, you were... You were there. It's worse. Because yeah, it's like, worse. I thought you just get left there. No, no, we'll just beat you with. No, we'll houses. just we'll just tie you to a pole and beat you. Mm. I don't know what you would have to do to get to said punishment pole, but I don't know. yeah, the prison also used to practice executions. So the first method of executions was by hanging, and then by 1916, the jail added what has been referred to as the death house. The death house. The death house. What's that? Well, it's a house of death, basically. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yes. So the death house consisted of six cells that would house death row inmates prior to their execution date. Okay. Uh, in terms of the hangings, the method that was used in the death house was called the Julian Gallows. So the Julian Gallows was named after architect James Julian, who designed the new execution method. The way that he designed it was that the device would have a trapdoor, which would be connected to a bucket of water. The bucket, once filled, would have enough pressure to then break open the trap door. The inmate would step up above where the trap door was located and put their head through a noose, and I kind of think the rest is self-explanatory. Yeah, water, fill, open, die. Yeah, basically. Uh, this method has been described as being an awful and cruel invention because there would be situations where inmates weren't always dropped far enough to cause immediate death. Oh. Yeah, which meant that a lot of those that were hung died slower than anticipated, which is technically cruel and unusual. Yeah, that's not like execution. That's just murder. That's just, that's just, yeah. More murder. That's just more murder. Uh, The death house would eventually have a gas chamber installed in 1936, once hanging was no longer used as a method to carry out death sentences. Oh dear. In direct quote from the Wyoming Frontier Prison website, quote, ultimately 14 death sentences were carried, nine men were hanged, and five were executed in the gas chamber, end quote. Now, like most prisons across the world, it's common that we hear about historical or even current escape attempts. Prison breaks seem to be a common theme with this prison, taking place as early as 1903, so literally two years after it opened. 
Lovely. Yes. In a direct quote from the Haunted Houses website, quote, An escape attempt was foiled in 1911 at the price of a guard's life. In 1912 alone, 30 prisoners escaped through the wooden stockade and barbed wire on two consecutive days. 30. Three zero, yeah. Who the fuck is watching this? I, I know. <laughs> Finally, in 1915, the concrete walls and towers were at last finished, which stopped any more mass escape attempts until 1927, when seven prisoners <laughs> escaped on two different occasions. End quote. So we didn't have the the security posts out. We yeah, made them, yeah. And they're still get away. Yeah. I think there's a staffing issue. Well, yeah. <laughs> staffing. And it almost makes it sound as if the prison wasn't actually ready by the time it opened. I almost oh, no. wonder if it maybe wasn't, but they're like, okay, it's been 13 years. We really need to open this up. Let's use our 104 with nothing of anything available. And then add yeah. more and more and more yeah, and let's... more and more. And you add people and you're like, well, we don't have any of the basics. Yeah. Let's, let's keep adding more cells from the original 104. But let's not, you know, keep them within said property. Yeah. It's it's kind of a disaster, I'm not going to lie. But to kind of shift gears, we're not going to discuss violence and death. We're going to kind of move to a little, something a little bit for a brief moment. It's just a little bit nice. I don't know how the story can get nice, but okay. Well, it's not going to stay nice for long, but okay, just ride this happiness train with me for like a small bit. So the jail was reportedly known to produce supplies to four major industries, including a broom factory from 1901 to 1917. So that's kind of nice. They're like contributing... To witchcraft. <laughs> not to witchcraft. <laughs> no, they're contributing to society. Okay, bye. And maybe witches, I don't know. But uh, unfortunately, the broom factory would burn down during a riot in 1917. So... Um, Lasted long. Yeah. After the riot, a shirt factory was created after the building space was rebuilt. And things seemed to pick back up until 1934, when a federal law passed disobeying the sale and transportation of items being made in a prison. So essentially, they were making these items... Well, first of all, they were making brooms. That factory burnt down. I'm making shirts. And then they're making shirts and things are going good. And then all of a sudden a law came in. They're like, you know what? No, 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 no. We don't want to like buy anything from jails. So then I kind of made a little bit of challenge, right? So this led to decrease of sales, but the factory would contribute supplies such as blankets during World War II. Then in its final years, the prison produced license plates. Uh, You know, it, it, it did it as far as my understanding up until its closure. Okay. So, which we'll get to, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're being productive. That's good. Yeah, they were trying to help out in some way sometimes. Yeah. I mean, probably the reasons why they're there in the first place aren't great, but they're being productive. Mm-hmm. There is another light story that comes out of the prison. However, it does turn dark fairly quick. So, sorry. And trigger warning, because once again... There's going to be discussions of very heavy topics such as rape and sexual assault as well as murder, Sue. It's very sad, but that is like a very common topic in jails. Yeah, exactly. Well, this this one actually took place outside of a jail, mm-hmm. but nearby. According to reports, sometime in the early 1900s, there was an elderly woman by the name of Esther Higgins who would bring in home-cooked meals to the inmates from time to time. Esther reportedly lived across the street, so I can imagine she knew that the inmates weren't always given proper meals or anything, hence her bringing meals over. So I think she lived alone. You know, I, I picture this retired older lady who, you know, lives across from the jail. She knows that it's not really funded that well. There's not a lot of money there, so they can't really feed everybody. So she literally... I was like, how much is she cooking? I don't know. Who knows at this mm. point? But 
this she deserves a medal because first of all, cooking for more than one person is a lot in my mind. Second of all, doing it for people you don't know that you mm. don't owe them anything and vice versa. Yes. Right? So that's like just the kindness of her heart. She brought these meals over. Although this kind of sounds lovely, like this is a great piece of information. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, this like this happened here and it was so kind and so amazing. And you know, it, it puts your faith back in humanity almost. Um, and, 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 and then it gets really dark. So an escaped inmate named Frank Wigfall reportedly tracked Esther down once he escaped and reportedly sexually assaulting her before he was reapprehended. And as far as my understanding, he did beat her and she did not survive the incident. Yeah. So when he went back into the prison, Frank was reportedly met by a lynch mob who had heard what he did to Esther. Yeah, this lady's making you food. You're gonna go fucking kill her. I don't know. It was never really documented why he did it. I don't know if maybe they That's had... the first person he came in touch with. Um, maybe. Out, but, like, still. It's it's really... Oh, it's sad. A, yes. So, it's been alleged that his fellow inmates actually hung Frank from one of the cell block balconies. So, they... Nice. Yeah. They kind of took it into his own... Into their own hands. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of that very nice kind story that kind of went dark really quick so now we're we're shifting back just to straight history yes so wyoming frontier prison served a total of 80 years before it closed its doors in 1981 when a new jail referred to as the north facility would take over all the previous inmates it's been said that within its 80 years of service approximately up to 200 inmates died on site deaths on site could be attributed to suicide homicide scheduled executions or illnesses now before we kind of dive into the reported haunts i wanted to share some information about some of the prison's previous inmates to get an idea of who served time there so the first one is melville davis so melville was imprisoned at the wyoming frontier prison in 1913 after being convicted of second degree murder of his sister annie Ryder, in 1912. according to the wyoming frontier prison website 20-year-old Melville reportedly was acting bizarrely leading up to the crime. He had reportedly set his boarding room on fire days before he was arrested and was trying to kiss his 13-year-old niece the day of the murder. After being told by his sister Annie to leave her daughter alone, Melville reportedly ran to a bedroom within the home. The three of them were in at the time. I'm not sure whose home it was specifically. Mm -hmm. And he grabbed a gun. Melville then aimed the gun at Annie and her daughter, however, it misfired. He then took an axe to Annie's head, in which he reportedly almost decapitated her. That's aggressive. Yes. So Melville was sentenced to life in prison. However, he died by suicide on September 28th, 1938, in which I read that he supposedly jumped off one of the cell block balconies within the jail onto the cement floor. So that's kind of one of the first inmates we're going to be chatting about. It's a very bizarre case. I didn't, like, I, I I read into it a little bit, and I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this is really wild, needless to say. But it's one of those cases where it's like, okay, but what else was happening? Mm. There wasn't as much of detail. like details. And I mean, it's, what, 1912, 1913, mental health wasn't really necessarily a top priority, I think, in forensics. So mm. you got to kind of wonder, though, right? Yeah. Well, they're in jail. Like, what's their state of mind? Yeah, exactly. So the next one on our list is Annie Bruce. On March 20th, 1907, Anna Florence Bruce, also known as Annie, was reportedly baking five pies for her family in Smoot, Wyoming. 
Which that's just such a fun name for a town. Smoot. I don't know why. Smoot or Wyoming? Smoot. Smoot. It reminds me of that penguin. Pangu. What? Pangu. You don't remember Pangu? From what? It was like a little cartoon penguin. And I'd be like... Oh, it like only speaks like... It goes... Beep, beep. Yeah. Okay. But I, I pictured that when I heard Smoot. I don't know why. Smoot, Smoot. I don't know. People from Smoot, Wyoming are screaming at us probably right now. Like I'm a fucking penguin. Yeah, I'm not a fucking penguin. I wonder if that's just a Canadian show too. Like people from... People are like, what the fuck is that show? <laughs> Those damn Canadians and their damn winter animals. Let them drag loose. And their weird TV shows. Ugh. Anyways, so I can imagine each pie that Annie was making probably had its different flavoring. You know, maybe there was the cherry one, maybe an apple pie. But one pie flavor that we do know in particular was strychnine, aka rat poison. Oh. Yeah. So, you she know. She made that? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, she was like, you know, I'm tired of this apple pie bullshit. I want to spice things up in the kitchen. And kill people. Basically. <laughs> so her father, James, ate some of the rat poison pie and died. Died shortly after. Uh, he also left her a one star rating on Yelp. What? I'm kidding. It was a joke. Okay. <laughs> he died. <laughs> it's also 1907. Yelp didn't exist. No. I'm sorry, that one did not fly. Okay, you know, it's fine. I will continue. Uh, So Annie would be convicted and sentenced for manslaughter in 1908 and was sentenced to four years at Wyoming Frontier Prison. Annie was reportedly the first woman ever convicted of any degree of murder in Wyoming. She only got four years. She only got four years. I feel like when we go back over past episodes that they always have minimal sentencings for murders. Or, like, multiple it's, murders. It's weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if maybe at that point they took it easy. I don't know. It's really weird. Maybe yeah, I'll weird. have to relook at the case again. Because I didn't really... It, it basically was just like, yeah, she only served four years. Mm, only made... only sentenced four years, sorry. Mm. So. As they've served, it was like, maybe get on good behavior or something. She's only bad, but... Who knows? Mm. Who, who honestly knows? Who knows what Annie from Smoot had to deal with? Who knows? Who knows? Um, Next on our list is Charles Aragon. And so Charles arrived at the prison on December 18th, 1928. So I don't know with the math, but like a day before this episode comes out, however many years ago that is from 2021. Can you math? I can't math. Oh, 28 to 21. Yep, it's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. Many, <laughs> many moons ago. <laughs> so, uh, Charles had been convicted of murdering two fellow circus colleagues and had been sentenced to death. From what I read, Charles was hung at the gallows of the jail on May 14th, 1930, only being 25 years old. Ooh. Yes. That's young. Very, very young. And last on our list of inmates uh, includes that of Annie Groves. So Annie, previous to her jail time, was practicing sex work when she met a man by the name of James Passwater. And spoiler alert, she probably would have wanted to pass on this water because he was not a great man. Well, the last name Passwater. What the fuck is that? I know. So after the two had linked up, Annie had become ill with a venereal disease, which she thought was from James. Annie had reportedly tried to connect with James in order to get him to help pay with medical bills. However, James declined. Frustrated and perhaps wanting to seek revenge, she tracked down James at the Smitzer Saloon. On October 15, 1907, she reportedly barreled into the saloon with a gun and took a shot at James. However, missed and killed another man that was in the saloon by the name of Lewis Peterson. So not a really good situation. You walk in and you shoot somebody else. Yeah. 
not first of all yeah not a not a very thought out plan she should have contacted annie bruce and got one of those rat poison pies and that's how she should have done it not that i'm I'm condoning it but i'm just saying it would have been easier it would have been easier wouldn't have got the right person Mm -hmm. so annie was convicted and sentenced to one year of hard labor however her husband e.g groves went to work to pardon her sentence which was granted and she only served reported five months before disappearing basically off the face of the earth her husband with her husband oh with her husband yeah with her husband yeah so her husband was like oh i'm gonna pardon this this that and the other whatever and the mother like bye yeah basically as soon as she was released they got the fuck out of wyoming and never looked back Interesting. Yeah. So now that we've chatted about some of the inmates that entered Wyoming Frontier Prison, along with the history, I think it's time that we talk about the haunts. What do you say? Yes, please. All right. So I think it's also safe to say that places like jails, hospitals, or really any building that once housed so much potential trauma and death has potential for paranormal manifestations to take place. I mean, this is episode, what, 89? We've covered how many haunted jails and asylums and hospitals at this point somebody's sticking around yeah exactly something or someone is sticking around Mm -hmm. so it probably then comes to no surprise that wyoming frontier prison has had its fair share of reported paranormal encounters now i'm going to use two main resources for the reported paranormal encounters which the first bit of information for this came from the haunted houses website And then I'll discuss the reports from our boy, Zach Baggins, from Ghost Adventures when they went in their seventh season. Okay. Yes. Are you excited? Because I'm excited. It was a great episode. So to kick off the reports, it seems as though the Haunted Houses website focuses on three areas of the prison, being the prisoner cell blocks, assumingly A and B, the death house, and finally the dungeon house. Oh, very fitting. Yes. In terms of the prisoner cell blocks, reports of apparitions being seen along with disembodied voices being heard seem to be the most common. Then moving to the death house, it's been alleged that those who are more sensitive to the paranormal have felt an increased pressure on their chest, almost as if I picture as if someone's like putting their hand on your chest and like pushing in, mm-hmm. which that sounds awful. Yeah, Zero to ten, don't like, yeah, don't like that. And overall, a feeling of anxiety when entering the once used death house. So if you have anxiety already, I wouldn't recommend going here. It's going to be really heightened. Yeah, you would be triggered, to say the least. Uh, finally, the dungeon house has reportedly been claimed as a home of an angry presence that has known to threaten anyone who enters certain spots. I'm not sure if these threats are verbal threats that are caught on EVPs or the spirit box, or if they're actual physical threats of some kind. Didn't really get into firm details, so. There was just threats. Just threats, which I feel like threats in general. It's convincing. It's threatening, you know? Yeah, I'll just take the threat as is. Just don't go. (laughs) Yeah, just don't go. Now to move on to what Zach and the gang documented during their time there. If you do decide to watch this episode, I watched it on Discovery Plus. It is under season eight. However, the episode list I saw online claims that it's actually season seven. Nonetheless, the crew rented an RV and made the trip to Rollins, Wyoming to visit the prison. When they were there, the falling was reported and documented. So tour guides Caitlin Schmidt and Ted Ford, who allegedly never worked together simultaneously, both claimed to see a shadow figure standing in one of the jail doorways, even though no one else was supposedly at the jail at the time. So basically they both reported walking around the cells, you know, maybe tidying up or what have you. I mean, now it's a museum, so people come in and go. 
but I believe it was during a time where people weren't supposed to be in mm. and down the hall of one of the cell blocks, I'm going to say cell block A or B, they saw a shadow figure and the shadow figure moved so fast. I was like, oh crap, someone's in here. Who's here? Who's there? When they got closer to where the shadow figure was, no one was there and there was no exit points for that person, like for whoever it was or whatever it was to get out. To get out. So if it was someone that broke in, they didn't get out. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, so that's what makes it a little bit suspicious. And the fact that they both saw it on two separate occasions, but never actually spoken to one another because they worked at the jail at different um, times. Okay. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, they, like there's two two encounters they've seen by separate occasions that no one else like could cooperate other than them. Yes. So investigators Aaron and Nick reportedly felt a lightheaded feeling walking in and out of the cell blocks. It's in this episode also that they discuss the last inmate executed at the Wyoming Frontier Prison being that of Andrew Pixley. So before I kind of get into more of the spookiness from the Ghost Adventures episode, I did want to discuss Andrew super quickly because his story and his mark on the prison is, I think, important for us to kind of chat about as it adds kind of to the darkness of this location. So Andrew Andrew was born in January of 1943 and has been documented to have violent tendencies along with a history of crimes such as passing bad checks and, you know, larceny. Just your average run-of-the-mill crimes, nothing major. No murder. Yet. Okay. Yeah. So the reason he was executed at the Wyoming Frontier Prison is because he allegedly broke into a room at the Wart Motor Hotel in Jackson, Wyoming, sometime in the late hours of August 5th and committed horrendous acts until the early hours of August 6th. Illinois Circuit Court Judge Robert McAuliffe's three daughters were in one of the rooms he had broken into. However, when Andrew broke in, Robert and his wife were in the hotel somewhere else, perhaps watching a live show of sorts. So so the kids, the girls were all in the room and they were sleeping. Their parents were in the hotel. Like, it's not like they went to a whole different building or... No, they're still in there, but st- they were elsewhere. Yeah, they weren't in the room when this went down. So when Robert and his wife arrived back at the room, uh, they unfortunately found their 12-year-old daughter, Debbie, and 8-year-old Cindy deceased in their beds. It's been documented that both girls had been sexually assaulted before being murdered. That's so sad. It gets worse. 6-year-old Susan was reportedly unharmed. However, according to Murderpedia, it's suspected that she may have witnessed Andrew assaulting her sisters. There's so much trauma. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I... it's one of those situations too where i can imagine it just it it shocked everybody oh yeah because no one like this was such a random act of violence like i don't think based on what i read andrew knew about the family being there he literally just broke into this random room and unfortunately found what he found yeah Exactly. So Andrew was convicted of the murders and sentenced to death, which his execution took place at, as mentioned, the Wyoming Frontier Prison on December 10th, 1965 via the gas chamber. Why I want to discuss this is because in Andrew's former cell at the jail, he reportedly carved the faces of Debbie and Cindy into the walls. Ugh. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, not kind of, he really is. is He's a piece of shit, yeah. Yeah, so... Not great, but I will recommend anyone to read more into this case if they wish. However, I'm going to go now go back to the Ghost Adventures episode. And I didn't know about this case at all until I watched this Ghost Adventures episode, mm. just as a little tidbit. So I think it's one of those cases that if you're like, who is this person? Why are, like, who, what is happening? Yeah. Definitely recommend talking about it more. I don't know, maybe we'll cover it in the future. 
Who knows? You but never know. Yeah, so back to the Ghost Adventures episode. When the Ghost Adventures crew was at the prison, they investigated around the 100th anniversary of Frank Wigfall's death. So they decided to leave a digital recorder and a video camera nearby where his death reportedly took place, where, you know, the lynch mob kind of, you know. Bye. Yeah, knocked him over or quote unquote knocked, knocked him, him over. over. Knocked him over the head. <laughs> yeah. Well, knocked him over the balcony and hung him. And yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. So they do this before they do their actual lockdown investigation, meaning that they they kind of wanted to experiment to see if they could capture something taking place on the anniversary before actually doing the investigation. And this was at a time where no one was in the jail, like no one at all was there. there. Exactly. In reviewing the footage and audio, there were they were able to capture a faint EVP of someone saying, help me, along with unexplained thuds that the prison staff were unable to debunk. So when they were reviewing the audio and visual footage, they did have some of the prison staff come in and say like, hey, do you recognize this sound? They're like, I've never heard that sound before. Okay. So that kind of validates like that's an unexplained Mm -hmm. phenomenon, right? Of some sorts. When the actual lockdown investigation begins, Billy and Jay experience unexplained noises right off the hop. Like as soon as they kind of have everything set down and set up, they, you know, they're sitting kind of waiting, watching everything. And it's just like almost instant, it seems. They experience things such as loud thud, in cell block B as if a cell door was being kind of like continuously slammed shut and you can actually hear about four distinct thuds in this scene of the episode alone it sounds truly like I'm shutting the doors yes just like really loud thuds I should mention that Billy and Jay are the only ones in the prison at this point in this episode as Zach, Nick, and Aaron are doing a separate lockdown at a house nearby beforehand. So those three were, I don't know, they found a haunted house nearby. They decided to do like a pre, yeah, like a a double investigation. A double feature, if you will. Billy reportedly goes to B Block to see if they can capture anything there in which at first he claims it's like dead silent. There's nothing going on at all. Very eerie. Yes. However, some time passes and Billy reportedly sees a figure walking near the A block with a flashlight. So he gets up from the B block calling out whomever this may be. However, no one is there. So he, at first, he just says, oh, I see somebody. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, no, this person had a flashlight, which is weird because last time I checked, shadow figures... Don't care, flashlights. Exactly. And if they do, why? <laughs> what should they hide. Exactly. And they kind of defeats the whole... Shadow figure. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're trying to create a shadow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems like a lot. But uh, Jay at this time is back at the crew's base site, nowhere near where Billy is. So they're separated. Okay. And Jay, Billy's like, Jay, are you here? Are you here? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, what? where are you? And mm-hmm. Jay's like, I'm at base. Like, I don't know what you're talking about and what you're seeing, but I'm here. I don't see what you're seeing. This is where things get really creepy. So Jay then witnesses the shower room camera move by itself as if something picked it up, spun it, and then knocked it on the ground. Oh. Billy's nowhere near the shower room. Nobody should be near the shower room at this point. Somebody's in there. But somebody's in there. Doing shit. Trying to take a, a shower, I guess. I was going to say trying to take a bath. I'm take like, a shower mm-hmm. in privacy. Get rid of the kids. <laughs> yeah, there's just like a shadow figure in there being like, I'm trying to shower. I'm trying to do a deep condition right now. God, privacy is just something people cannot respect. Regardless, though, other reports from this episode include unexplained, disembodied, described male voices, 
Random floating lights being seen in the cafeteria. A yup response on the spirit box when, yup. <laughs> when Aaron asks if he should be nervous. It's like, Aaron's like, should I be nervous? And all I hear is, yup. In that tone? <laughs> Not in that tone, okay. no. It was more very like, yep. It was more ominous. Doesn't sound like a freaking Looney Tunes. <laughs> the typical repeat is like, you're replaying, you're replaying, you're replaying, you're replaying. It's like, nope. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a lot creepier than what I just said. On top of that, uh, something that swooshes near his head, which on camera looks like a random light. So, not really sure what that was, but... Something. Something. So to kind of summarize this location in this episode in general, as earlier mentioned, it probably comes to no surprise to listeners that a place with such a death-filled history like that of Wyoming Frontier Prison may be haunted. From shadow figures, unexplained noises, EVPs, and other paranormal phenomena, it seems as though some of the prison's previous inmates are still serving time there even in the afterlife. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I would hate to be stuck somewhere for my entire life and then have to be stuck there for the afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I just live here forever. Yeah. I mean, unless it's, you know... Like a somewhere cool, yeah. Like an Apple Store, you get to play around with all the products. I don't know. I'm, Apple think, store. I'm thinking on the spot. I would love to be at the Apple Store. I was gonna say like a cool place, like Nola. Yeah, I mean, oh well, yeah. If I could just live on Bourbon Street in New Orleans for the rest of my life. But what I will say is if you or someone you know has visited this location, please email us your experiences and we'll feature it in a future Listener Distractions episode. And that's kind of it on the Wyoming Frontier Prison for this week. What are your thoughts? It was creepy. Do you want to go? Probably. Okay, cool. We'll just add it to the list list of things we could do post whenever. Post panorama. So before I let Christy give us the goods in terms of where you can send your tales for a future listener distractions episode. Alex is going to say her favorite part of the show. Which is my resources. So big old shout out to the Wyoming Frontier Prison website, the Atlas Obscura website, the Ghost Adventures episode, which once again is episode 12, season eight. And I watched that on Discovery+. Plus. Shout out to Wikipedia, which I haven't used that in what feels like a really long time on the main show, but thank you to Wikipedia for their Ghost Adventures episode list page, as well as the Haunted Houses website for their coverage on the Wyoming Frontier Prison, the Guide to Travel website, Do Ghosts Really Haunt the Frontier Prison in Rollins W.Y.? by Linda Axmotis, uh, the King FM website article, Wyoming's Creepiest Invention, The Julian Gallows, written by Rick Rodman on October 13th, 2017. Thank you to Murderpedia for its page on Andrew Pixley. And last, but absolutely positively not least, thank you to the New York Times article for their coverage on convicts, Lynch, fellow prisoner, had been secretly removed to penitentiary to save him from citizens' violence. Author not listed, but that was published back on October 3rd, 1912. Yeah, Yeah. so Christy, hit these fine listeners up with where they can find us, how they can support the show, and how they can send their creepy tales if they've ever been to Wyoming Frontier Prison. Yes, all the deets. So, you can listen to us on a variety of platforms. You're already listening now, so you already found this platform. Which is good. (laughs) Which is great. We love that. 
Um, but and basically any other variety platforms, anyone like Apple Podcasts, you guys want to go on, give a rating, give a review. That always really helps. It's just a nice freebie way to just give support to po- other podcasters and their content. Yes. But just go on pretty much any other platform. You can search us. You probably will find us. Yes. Other than that, you can find us on our various social media pages that are gladly run and graciously run by Alex. Yes. On TikTok, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So be nice, because I'm a <laughs> sensitive Sally over here. And other than just finding us, there's other ways you can get more of our content. So we have Patreon. Ooh, yes. We have our two tiers. Mm-hmm. All the goods. Yes, we have monthly bonus episodes we have spam episodes we have weird spam episodes which is on top of the monthly bonus episodes so our monthly bonus episodes we release once a month every last sunday of the month we've been mostly covering a lot of true crime episodes over there so if you're listening to us just for true crime episodes you want to be on there you really want to be on there there's some good cases on there exactly i cover a lot of european cases over on there like a lot because if i butcher the words no one's gonna read me for filth or they do so in a very nice way in the sense of they help me learn to speak which is great we like that we love that so yes go check that out our different tiers all that extra content yes Uh, we want to give a big shout out to our current patrons as always we have angela john tom bailey alicia and lynn we love you Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Mariah Carey, for coming in to sing that piece. That was so kind of you. Oh, her voice of an angel. Just an angel of a, of a voice. <laughs> Playing some Christmas music right now. Yeah, she had to leave because she has to release a new Christmas music video, so. Or album, or go or butcher album. some New Year's Eve thing, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, other than that, um, other than Patreon, we have other ways to kind of support the show in a little more monetized way. We have Buy Me a Coffee. You yes. can go on there. You can give a little sprinkle of some funds to help mm-hmm. support us. And yeah. Anything helps. No One problem. time. You don't have to commit, no. which is nice. This will help. Um, also, we have merch on Redbubble. Yeah. So you can go to Redbubble, and again, it's almost Christmas time, so there's going to be deals for sure. Ooh, you know what, though? I mm. think by this point, when this episode comes out, you might miss your window for shipping, unless you live beside Redbubble. Okay, well, it doesn't be a Christmas gift. It could be a get you gift. A New Year's Eve gift. Yeah. Yeah. You can give all the time any time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so go on. Find any of our stuff, <laughs> any of our logos, icons, anything, probably on any kind of merch you could think you want. It'll yeah. put it on there. Slap it on. Get some stickers. Slap it on. And you, yeah, you do get a free sticker with every Redbubble order. Yes, you do. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I love stickers, so. And our stickers. Yeah. <laughs> you should buy some. <laughs> you, should, you should get some. So that's a great way to help the show and help get, get a little um, support. And yeah. Yeah. Other than those options, we are always on the look for some new um, content for our Lister Distractions episodes. Yes. So please feel free to email us at weirddistractionspodcast.com. Again, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be like a personal encounter. It could be a dream. It could be someone else's story with yeah. permission, preferably. Of course. Consent is key Kiss. all the time. Key, key, key. But we always want that good stuff. So share it with us and we will share it in an episode. We'll get your stuff out there. If you don't want to share it, that's fine. But if yeah. you want it out there, we will share it for you. And also, I guess we should always say too, I, I feel like we never mentioned this, but if you want to submit a story anonymously, like if you have a story that you want us to read, but you don't necessarily want your name to be oh, read. Yeah. yeah. Just let us know in the email. And we'll, we'd be happy to share it. We did one in June. It's been a minute. I would love. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, it's been a real hot minute. I would love to do another one. I don't think we'll probably get one out before the end of 2021, which is fine because you know what, 2022 is just around the corner, and who knows what that year has in store for us over here at Weird Distractions Podcast. So email us, send it in. 
else yeah and as a reminder definitely check out the brew crimes podcast that is our weekly podcast promo for this fine week and you know what if you need a distraction we got you bye, bye. bye.